I mean, I'm not saying your nose is minging or anything, but... Coming to you live from the recording studios of Jin Cycling Palace deep within the Super Fortress Hardcore Genki, it's the Hardcore Genki Hour! Hey kids, do you like movies? Do you like nerdy- wait, wait a minute, you're not Pink Apple Jam. Ah, well, funny thing, she's busy working on a super secret project, so I'm covering her spot. How did you get past the clockwork gnomes? I was hoping you asked this. I used a very elaborate sledgehammer, which was also the same shape as a croquet mallet, and I smashed them into teeny tiny pieces. That makes perfect sense. Shall we? Why not? Hey, kids, do you like movies? Do you like nerdy things? Do you like getting excited about stuff? Do you want two geeks talking? About what they've watched, read and done. And made in the last two months. Well, hold on to that Valentine's Day card. Because now it's time for... The, the Hardcore Genki Hour! Hello and welcome to the Hardcore Genki Hour. I'm Andrew Warden-Davis, cutting his sweets bill by laying bear traps for the Easter Bunny. Hi, I'm Ian Bolton, retired yet bitterly cynical convention organiser turned wannabe media mogul who airs this very show on his station. And this is the February 2019 update for our world of comics, TV, conventions, creation, generally being excited about, about stuff. Here at the glorious Super Fortress Hardcore Genki. Because if something's worth being excited about, it's worth talking about. And because you're all still in mince pie comas or buried under snow, it's straight on to our first topic. What the fuck is up with the Oscars? With any luck, this, this podcast will be going out before the 91st Academy Awards happen on the 21st of February. And it's been a strange time for the biggest events in the Hollywood calendar. Not only have they been unable to find a presenter that has failed to clean out their Twitter account uh, to the point that there's going to be no host, uh, previously only done in 1989. Uh, it'll only be three hours long, uh, the shortest it's been since 1986, and several as yet unannounced Oscar categories will be cut. Ooh. Well, you say it are to be cut, but now they've been reinstated because Hollywood complained. <laughs> so my intro is out of date, even though I checked it yesterday. <laughs> This yes. is how the the Oscars are going. <laughs> this is on top of the ongoing fallout of Me Too, Oscars So White, the absolute PR screw-up of the best popular film. The hell is up with the Oscars, man? We've we've previously talked about it before on The Big Stomp, and this is when the nominations came out. And that was that was weeks ago. We're now forward a couple of weeks. We're about a week away from the actual ceremony itself. The stories are more about how how messed up the organization is for this year's event rather than the nominations themselves. And it's a bit deflating because usually when you have these Oscars buzz, you'd have, uh, you have news pieces about one of the nominees doing something funny or cool. And, and most of it, unfortunately has been diverted by problematic nominations. So for example, Bohemian Rhapsody is getting lots of nods and so forth, but people don't like the fact that Brian Singer is still attached to it. Um, you even in even some of the smaller categories, um, one of the films in the live short best feature um, focuses on the Jamie Bolger um, murder and there's been a huge uproar in uk news about that because the family james bolger want the film to be pulled from the oscars the filmmaker said no i i i respect that i i may have upset them but i'm not going to pull my film from these awards and and then and then yeah you've got these issues with actually getting the show together and 
and, I, and the nominations themselves have kind of shown an improvement in diversity. There's mm. still room for improvement, but for once, there isn't a massive outcry of nomination snubs. And on the plus side, you get you get little things to enjoy the Oscar nods. I think Richard E. Grant's been the one that's kind of been enjoying the roller coaster for all it's worth. Um, it's his very first Oscar nomination as well, so he's already a winner. And, really? Um, yeah, he's never been nominated for an Oscar. Okay, I thought he had been. No, okay. no, no. Probably, maybe Baftas. Maybe oh, Baftas. Yeah, fair enough. But, uh, but not, but not an Oscar. This is his very first one. For can you ever forgive me? Um, so yeah, you've got it's the focus on the Oscars this year. Just seems to be just not the movies. How, not the movies, which is really weird. The, the, the Oscars have always been a quite a political show as it is. Yeah, they've always had a lot of hype going on other than the awards. Mm. But yeah, this year it really is. It's an Oscars about the Oscars rather than the possible winners more than it. I, yeah, it's weird. I mean, I mean to to a point. I mean, some of the some of the awards are probably in the bag already for a few of the nominees. Oh, I suppose. Well, I I think Rome is probably a lock to win. Probably best director. Okay. I, I can't I can't see anyone else winning that. Um, I think Rami Malek's probably going to take Best Actor at this rate. He's won everything else. I'd be very surprised if someone else came along and stole it. Who's he up against again? He's up against Bale for Vice. And Bale mm. is very, very good in Vice. Saw Vice, uh, but it's, it's not an amazing film. It's a good film with a very good amount of performances. But if anything else, it might be, it might be Bale taking it. But Rami, Malek, Rami, uh, Rami Malek's been kind of like the darling of of the awards season at the moment. It's, it's him and Olivia Coleman who have been like the darlings. Every, everywhere they go, they to do, um, to do awards or talk, they just, they just get so much more fans and love towards them. So I'd be surprised if either one of them turn around, uh, leave the show next week without an Oscar. Yeah. Um, best pictures up in the air, I suppose. I mean, Rome has been picking it up, but you never know how the, the they they can be they can surprise you sometimes they really can they they're all solid picks i mean the fact yeah. that going back to what we were saying about best uh popular film the fact that black panther is in there is a very i know certain people are getting hyped about the fact that it's the first superhero movie to get a nod other than mm. a technical cuz i believe a couple of others have had technicals but that's that's, oh, yeah. that's I mean, a Dark Knight, issue well the dark knight won for best supporting actor of heath ledger yeah, so it's yeah. So it has one. It has one fairly major awards before. Yeah, this is okay. the first time it actually arrives in the best picture nod. To be fair, though, he won that by for, by being dead. No, I think he probably would have won it even if he was alive. Mm. Anyway, anyway, another another story. Another another time. We resurrect Heath Ledger. We get him to do another role. We see what happens. Anyway, I think people are bored with the um, Oscars to an extent. Just three hours of bollocks. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, the main thing about the Oscar shows is it is a very long Sunday night of Hollywood patting itself on the back, and and I guess what the Academy have been trying to do for the last couple of years is they've been trying to make this more relevant for younger viewers because there's there's there seems to be a I still think it's still a thing where. The younger demographic, maybe your 18s to 34s or something like that, they they don't give a they don't give a flying toss about the Oscars. To be perfectly honest, are we talking about the awards or are we talking about the show? Because I I think it's a bit of both. I think I think that young the the young demographic demographic, yeah, definitely has never cared about it because mm. they've got the MTV awards now. They've got categories that are more relevant 
to them and movies, you know, award shows for movies that are aimed at them. Yeah. But I still think, you know, if it gets an, if, if Black Panther gets a nod, I think the young will be happy and all that. But a three hour long, quite dull award show. Well, if you throw on the red carpet stuff and all that, it becomes a four to five hour affair. To be wow. fair to us, because I, I remember, because I used to, I used to watch the Oscars when I was, when I was like, and this is when I used to work in, um, this is when I used to work in cinema. So when, when you worked for like an independent cinema and they were showing the Oscar winners and all that sort of stuff, knowing about the Oscars and seeing the Oscars was kind of like you kind of had to, to be really good at being knowledgeable at your job, and they really encouraged you to be knowledgeable at your job. So I have watched a couple of Oscar ceremonies in the past, and if you were watching it, and I think you still only can watch it through Sky, really, at the moment, um, you'd start off with your two-hour red carpet dross going on, with people appearing on the red carpet, and then you would have probably another 45 minutes when you go to the live the live show. Uh, I just put live in little commas there <laughs> because no, because no one can see us talking at the moment. No. <laughs> um, where they sort of carry on talking, and then yeah, and then basically you just have this very long-winded um, TV show where where basically it could be all over and done with, and probably about an hour if we just went over. But the fact is, it's it's about a celebration. It's about a celebration of movies, which I do get, but. There's only so many times we can say, hey, do you remember those musicals we celebrated last year? Let's celebrate them again with a more upbeat tempo contemporary version with the latest popular movie songs. Yeah, it's like, hey, do you remember what happened in the last 12, 12 months worth of cinema? Yes, because I have a functioning memory. Um, <laughs> it, I also think the presenter role, I mean, that's so... I'm not surprised no one's willing to touch it. It's a bit of a poison chalice. Yeah. And if you make even the slightest, because you're up there for so long and you yeah. have all those cameras aimed on you, if you make the slightest mistake, if you look at someone funny, I reckon if you hiccup at the wrong moment, you're going to get slammed. And if you don't, especially in the current climate, if you don't do anything, it's like, do you do something political or do you not do anything political? Because that's well, going to get talked about. I so. remember, I remember one year, uh, Chris Rock was hosting the Oscars, and he made he made like a this this is probably like a decade ago. Um, he made a joke about Jude Law because Jude Law at the time was in so many films, and I think he'd been nominated. He was nominated for best supporting actor and maybe best actor at the same time. No, best supporting actor, and he, it was kind of like a running gag. Is oh, Jude Law's in this film as well, and then halfway through the show, Sean Penn was just. Um, uh, pla- uh, Captain, no, Captain Deadpan. I don't like jokes anymore. And he kind of just he came onto the stage and just went, "Well, I happen to believe that Jude Law is one of the finest actors of our generation." Mm. Okay, <laughs> so it's it's kind of it's kind of those little bits. And there's also who are the people. I mean, previously we've had Ellen DeGeneres, we've had Seth mm. MacFarlane, uh, we had the bizarre double act of of I think it was. Either James Franco and Anne Hathaway or Hugh Jackman and Anne Hathaway. It's one of those two. I can't remember which one it is. I think because of the musical element, it's probably Hugh. <laughs> but you still, I don't think, I know there have been some people doing great perform, great presentation roles on it. Yeah. But considering that each award gets two people coming up to present it, you can, you can still have those moments. You just don't you have one guy having to do like an hour worth of bits in between. And also with the with the presenters, they usually end up doing like a five minute skit 
of some mm. sort of uh, some some of them. I mean, especially when you bring on someone like Will Ferrell or Jack Black or something like that, they they have like a little skit comedy moment. In this day and age, can you find someone that enough people like? And, and uh, I mean, I know there are people out there who are big and that are obviously doing really really mm. well. But with the media so fractured and fragmented, who do you get that has enough breadth? of appeal to not turn people off that still got something solid behind them that's the thing choosing it's just a nightmare the rock yeah but does it <laughs> like... yeah okay yeah no, no the rock could no, do it. no apparently before kevin hart was asked they actually did approach uh dwayne johnson to do it for this year but because he was busy with so many films because he's the world's most busiest film actor at the moment, um, he then suggested Kevin Hart, and that's where it's all kind of because they cut four, they they cut four um, awards from it to try and cut the well, yes. down. Well, and yes, they but... didn't say which ones they were going to be, and then they said which ones they were going to be. Basically, what they originally tried to do was they kind of said we're we're not going to air the award presentations for live action short, cinematography, editing, makeup, and hair um and they'd be and they were going to be streamed online in effort to shorten the broadcast and then everyone turned around and said how dare you and i and and i think for for at least i think there was to be perfectly honest in terms of films those sort of categories especially with things like um cinematography and editing they are kind of important because they are kind of like the the core ingredients that make the film stand out i mean it's like it's like roger deakins finally won his oscar for blade runner 2049 last year Mm. And it's kind of like the cinematography for Blade Runner 2049 was absolutely important. So yeah. decided to cut. So to kind of rob this man of his big moment, decided by going, oh yeah, when no one's going to see you get your award, we're just going to cut to this fun commercial for Cheerios or something. I don't know. I get that, but those hair and makeup. I'm not saying they don't involve skill, mm. but they're quite lovey awards. The average person in the street doesn't come out from the cinema going, wow, that haircut was brilliant. They, they wouldn't necessarily see the distinction. And a makeup, you're looking at, you know, if it's spe- if it's special effects makeup, yeah, maybe, but that, that goes into the, uh, into the FX Oscars. The outcry was from the industry, not from the audience. Yeah. So that's what I mean by it's a very, I'm not, not slagging off the people doing it, I'm just saying it's the people in the trade care about that rather yeah. than the audience. This is the thing, you know, because they're in an eight-year viewing slump, even though the Oscars are still as important if not more important at the box office okay but the show i mean my god it's collapsing Mm. comparatively so knocking off four categories that the average person in the street doesn't even necessarily know exist is that a bad thing well this is the thing i think baftas actually do this quite interestingly because baftas was i think last weekend and what the baftas tend to do is the baftas are held they don't. They're not held live. They are pre-recorded. Um, they're they're held on the same day as the broadcast. It's just basically you get the main you get the main awards that people care about, and then you get uh, and then you get at the end you get little you get little sum up little mm. box pops of also winners tonight. Da 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 da. da. Mm. So so people still get their moment among their peers. I yeah. suppose. I think again, it's like I I don't understand how how much that was so much of an issue in Hollywood. I, I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it's because it's it's Hollywood it's, uh, Hollywood just wanting everyone to be celebrated. I guess. I think I think 
I think they need to get this ceremony out of the way, and then they need to seriously look at how they're redoing, how they how they really want to make this uh, a more efficient broadcast, and not only efficient but a more universal broadcast. After many, 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 many years, <laughs> James Cameron has finally been able to bring Battle Angel Alita to the big screen. Um, he, I mean, this is something he brought the rights to, I think, late 90s, early 2000s. Yep. And basically was never in a position to direct it for years and years and years. He got distracted by things like Titanic. And then he got distracted by this, uh, this Pocahontas in space called Avatar. And, and unsurprisingly, Avatar became very, very, very popular. Uh, so he's gone off and done what? Two, two, three, four sequels now? I don't know. He's gone. He's gone off to done a lot of film. He's gone off doing a lot of filming, and eventually we'll we'll find out. They're all in production, aren't they? I think the second one has been. I think they're they're trying to film all back to back in a way, but it's just it's just one of those they'll appear when they're ready. <laughs> well, that one start that one started production the year after Avatar came out, and Avatar came out ten years ago. So yeah, yeah, around two thousand, two thousand eight, two thousand no, two thousand nine. I remember two thousand nine because that was the year I changed cinemas, and that was the big film at Christmas. I can I see my movie calendar in mind can get me right in the right place when I need to be. Uh, <laughs> I'm a dangerous encyclopedia of cinema releases. There we go. And it's 300 years after the fall and the cybernetic technician Dr. Dyson, played by Crystal Fultz, finds a cyborg head and torso in the trash pile under Zalem, the last floating city on Earth. Waking with no memory, the newly rebuilt and named Alita, played by Rosa Salazar, takes us through the moderately civilized factory town of Iron City. Making friends with a big-hearted vagabond called Hugo, she discovers a world of serial killers, cyborgs, mercenary bounty hunters, corrupt sports, and the machinations of the mysterious Nova, and her own mysterious past. Bum, bum, bum. Bum. Right, so we both, as anime fans, we, we've unfortunately had to bear the brunt of some pretty piss-poor adaptations. Um, Dragon Ball Evolution, I don't think we need to say anything else. I liked uh, it. You liked Dragon Ball Evolution. <laughs> I liked it. I don't like Dragon Ball, so it probably helped. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Spike from Buffy, just wearing big green latex over his face. (laughs) That that killed a career in in an instant. (laughs) He didn't have a career. Well, TV career. (laughs) Well, you also had you also had Blood the Last Vampire, which Mm. which which to a point covered some of what we'd already seen, but then when they kind of went, oh, what happens after she defeats this vampire? Nothing. I don't know. We've got ninety minutes to fill, though. Okay. Um, then there's also Kite, which didn't I even didn't get cinema. Um, Kite was like a, it's like a hyper-violent uh, anime nineties. Uh, um, also quite a dodgy one as well because certain versions have uh, a bit of sex in it and some of them don't. Um, but it went straight to DVD with Samuel Jackson. And then you had, and then you've got some of the anime film. You had some of the anime live-action adaptations that had. S- some controversy to them, like Ghosts in the Shell, even though it, it, it's a serviceable film. It's a serviceable film, but more people Some remote. controversy. Some controversy, yeah. And then I, I'm a big fan of the Speed Racer one because it was actually too much like the anime it was based on, and it confused and scared everyone. Speed Racer <laughs> is one that Pink Apple Jam loves it. I thought it was quite good. I thought it could have done with a bit more editing, but yeah, it was. it was very much like the anime, and the anime yeah. is mental, so... yeah. And until Red yeah. Light came along, the live-action adaptation of Speed Racer was essentially Racky Races on crack. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's it's actually wonderfully refreshing to say that 
Elisa Battle Angel is actually a, a pretty good adaptation in itself. And I remember watching the anime years ago on Sci-Fi Channel, the olden days where it was like, it's midnight, it's time for anime. And, um, and the moment... No I, civilized person would ever watch anime. Uh, says us. <laughs> <laughs> and, I can and, smell my own. And, and there, there are moments that I remember from the anime, like uh, Dyson with his giant uh, F-off hammer. Uh, you've got Hugo sort of eager to get up to the floating city and climbing towards it. And they're all there, and they are pretty faithful. So It's, it's relatively faithful. I mean, it congeals... Congeals? Consolidates. That's a nicer phrase. Consolidates four books, and they're fairly action-packed books, into two hours, hmm. uh, which is no mean feat, but there's no way they'd have... They had to, because yeah. too much plot otherwise. And they did it pretty accurately, and the character... I, I always think with these... I'm more about are the characters faithful rather than the story. Mm -hmm. if you get what I mean? Yeah. Because the story itself, if you're honest about it, Alita isn't that interesting or innovative or especially new a story. It's more the no. characters that are, yeah. are the thing that you mm -hmm. care about with it. And yeah, I'll, I'll grant that it was on that level. It was pretty damn good. You know, you're always going to have fanboys that want to over uh, over purify it, and they're like, oh. In the comic, he had three cups of coffee. In what? the film, he had four. Ah, oh, burn it to the ground. Well, the thing, well, the thing, well, the thing I've kind of noticed with uh, anime live action adaptations is, um, yes, they, they they still happen from time to time. But when they do, the the instant knee jerk reaction is no, how dare they? They're being mm. they're being insensitive towards culture. And the latest one of these is uh, your name. Uh, your name is 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 coming. It's it's on the horizon. Um, it's being produced by J.J. Abrams, and they've recently got a brand new. They've got a director. They've got uh, Mark Webb from Five Hundred Days of Summer, and the two amazing Spider-Man movies. He's been tapped to direct, and they and they've they've mod they've they've Americanized the story, understandably, because obviously if you're selling a story if you're selling the story to a different territory, you kind of need to tweak it. Well, Japan's Japan's Japanified enough plots in their remakes. So. Yeah. But then, but but apparently it's it's uh, people on my Facebook feed say this is so much of a sacrilege. It's going to be horribly racist and all that sort of stuff. It must be stopped. It must be burnt down. And I'm just, it's just, come on, just wait till a film comes out and then make a mind up. Don't just immediately grab the pitchforks. But mm. alternatively, the other test is: is the person who made the original laughing all the way to the bank? This is also true. This is very because you know, I mean, like with Ghost in the Shell, the make the maker was very happy at the amount of money he got out of it, mm -hmm. and a lot of the Japanese audience went, "Oh, we really like Scarlett Johansson, and we think this movie's great." Um, I mean, uh, yes, there are issues and there are cultural considerations, but there's also a shitload of money for the person who made the movie to go and sit there and go, well, number one, I'm real happy because I made a bunch of cash and I've never had a problem with makers of content. I like being rich. Mm. It's like they made something I like, they get rewarded for it. I'm good with that. I think another positive, a positive of this as well is sharing the story with new audiences because your name was a huge success in the anime circuit. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely huge success. I've seen it. I like the film. I own it on Blu-ray, but there's, there's also a good portion of cinema goers that won't go and see that have probably not seen your name. They've probably not heard about your name. They've, they've kind of, they're aware of it, but they don't want to watch it because it's a cartoon or something like that. And that just, it just, it just doesn't get their attention. doesn't get their interest. So by doing these live action adaptations or by doing an adaptation or work, 
it gets more eyes on the story. It gets more people to say, oh, I like that. And I think with your name in particular, if you get more people coming out of your name saying, I liked that film, I'd like to see what it was based upon, then off you go. You're, you're laughing to back. And to be perfectly honest, it's the same here with Elite Battle Angel. I watched it and I kind of went, I didn't recall it being that really cool and enjoyable. I want to read the mangas and I'm looking to get, I'm looking, I think they're re-releasing the mangas in part now. So I'm, I'm looking to, to acquire those as well and just carry on reading the story because it was that much, that was, it was that entertaining. And yeah, I think if you spend, if you're giving new audiences a chance to experience a story, maybe in a slightly altered form, maybe, but it gives them a chance to at least experience that story in particular then I think everyone kind of wins in a way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think with some of the stuff like like Dragon Ball, especially, Dragon yeah. Ball's a great example of where I think the fans are right because Dragon Ball apparently um, took the plot and utterly changed it and totally redid it, made it this whole new thing. So yeah. it was Dragon Ball in name only. And that, I can get why people get annoyed by that because it's just mm. annoying. But a lot of them are, are, are actually quite good. I mean, they're, they're very good adaptations. They might have a couple of twists. They might have a couple of nips and tucks. And to be honest, these days, a lot of it's more about the international market than the American market. I mean, apart from anything else, though, uh, especially with Battle Angel and Lita, I'm going to be happy. I'm happy about it because you've got a female lead kicking the living crap out of everything. Mm. And it's a, a strong female lead that it's, it's really weird because i don't know if you could describe it as like a feminist piece because essentially it's the absolutely traditional male hero story mm. just with a gender flip yeah um so i don't know how all the political correctness and all that works out uh but you have essentially got a main love interest that could be replaced with a lamp uh, albeit a lamp with minor suicidal tendencies, my goddaughter's gonna, you know, young girls are gonna go and, and start asking questions about kicking ass and getting cyber cyber augmentation, and I think that's a good thing. That's yeah, that's nice to see that happening. Mm, so, absolutely. And if the only way they can do that is by, you know, bugging it onto a a remake of a known quantity, then great, go mm. for it. It'll be an absolute laugh. Well, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? I thought Netflix. she was. Oh, not Yorkshire. <laughs> She's on Netflix. I swear she was in Yorkshire, just stealing the sheep. <laughs> where in the world is Carmen? No, I can't do a Yorkshire accent. Where? She's in Yorkshire. Yeah. Stealing, stealing Yorkshire sheep and Yorkshire tea. <laughs> Why? Well, wouldn't you want to steal sheep if you were in Yorkshire? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I don't think I'm No, I always make that joke with my friends when I talk about Carmen San Diego. But yes, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Basically, um, Carmen San Diego, for those not in the know, um, she's kind of a cult educational video game character and more like a, an evil thief. Um, there used to be these a lot of very educational games that came out on Mega Drive, Master System, PC, and all that sort of stuff, where you would have to solve clues and figure out what Carmen San Diego was going to steal and how she was going to do it and all that sort of stuff. And I remember I remember playing this on the Mega Drive when I was probably about eight, nine, ten, and you had these really big chunky booklets with all the information about all the places you need to know to solve the clues. So it's like you had a whole page about what you could find in France, all that sort of stuff. And so. And, and for a while, obviously, it's been very quiet. So Netflix have decided to do a reimagination where Carmen Sandiego is now uh, 
an, uh, used to be an evil thief, but she's still a thief now, but trying to stop the evil people of Vile, or the criminal enterprise that trained her, by stealing from them. So she kind of becomes a Robin Hood sort of character. Mm. Um, and I have to admit, it's like, I wasn't really expecting much from this, but I think it's very stylishly animated. And it's and it's still quite entertaining when you get past the educational info dumps at the start of every episode when Carmen starts visiting a new co- country because it's educational. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> it's uh, the 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 mandatory five minutes of education at the start of each episode that you can just. Did you know out. that this country is famous for rice? No, China. <laughs> you can it's... also have rice with food. Um... That sort of stuff. Well, the original series conned you into learning by making you interested in how you could find thing, find her. Yeah. Whereas this just gives you a mini lecture and then bogs off to do its own thing for about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. yeah. You liked it. I liked it. I, Good I, for I, you. I, the fact of the matter is sometimes it's like we... The thing is a lot of the old animated properties are getting the Netflix treatment at the moment. I mean, She-Ra was last year. I haven't seen She-Ra. Some people really like it. Some people don't. That's... It was pretty good. Um, and I think there's, I think there's, I think Voltron was one of the other ones. I mean, I know, remember mm-hmm. Voltron being the old one that's had its whole series done. So it's kind of, it's kind of a rebooting phase. I think we we keep going through this. I mean, Ducktales was rebooted last year, and Ducktales was good, the reboot. Um, so yeah, I think it's. I, uh, you, you're didn't laughing. We do it. Didn't we do a podcast about reboots on on a channel that people may have heard of? Well, we were we were taking purposes? we were taking arguments with uh, Disney's live action adaptations rather than reboots yeah, as a re- whole. But reboots of, as a whole, but um, that was on Bunkerzilla the Big Stomp. Yes, which you can download now on from Bunkerzilla. Oh, listen on Spotify. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, enough of the corporate whore. Uh, I'm a media mogul. Get used to it. Um, um, so yeah, I. I, I mean, I, I kind of enjoy it. I mean, because I was, I think I would have been a little bit miffed if it was more of this, if it was kind of like, hmm. I, I, I kind of just like the way how they reimagined it. It just, I think it, the characters were a little bit more interesting. Because I, I saw, I saw clips of the old cartoon and they do not hold up well. No, no. <laughs> if people, what, one of the things I, I will always say, if people go, oh, but the original is so much better. I like, go and watch it. Yeah. Please go. Go and watch it. And yeah, funny enough, uh, Carmen Sandiego cartoon series back in the uh, the nineties was like the very first voice acting gig for Jennifer Hale, who went on to become uh, the female voice of Commander Shepard in Mass Effect. Okay. So every every voice actor has to start somewhere, Um, and they even they even bring back the original voice actress of Carmen as like a side role in like the first two episodes of this version as well. Mm. But I only knew that by reading up on it. (laughs) It's like it's like it's like that. I don't know that voice. I don't know what to make of this. It's not bad. No, I think it's 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 nicely produced. I think if it was because I wasn't. When I saw the trailer, I wasn't necessarily a fan of the animation style, but when I started watching it and got more into it, it's like, okay, this animation style fits quite nicely now. I kind of I'm used to it because because there are some animation styles that I detest with a passion, and and one of the ones that I hate absolutely the most is um, the the 
technically it's an anime, but we've animated it with low low budget CGI. Yeah. Which you can kind of find in some stuff like Rooster Teeth. Mm. Which, okay, it's a bit unfair because I haven't actually watched any of Rooster Teeth's, but it's kind of like I've seen that sort of style and I cringe and just go, I can't. I can't watch it because I just can't get into it because I just mm. I just don't like the style. That's just me. And I felt and I felt seeing the trailers for Conan San Diego, I felt that was where it was going, but it surprised me it didn't get necessarily go down that route. I think the animation style, take it or leave it, it works. Mm-hmm. I I thought it was a perfectly functional kids um spy series mm-hmm. with some infotainment glued on the front and the back end. Because I, remember it's educational. Educational. Yeah, it's not. It's it's. I people are gonna like it, but they're not gonna they're gonna like it for its new thing, not for what it was. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's an okay spy series for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's best I can say. Anyone who's looking yeah. for some, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, can't, I think I, that's fair. I, I I was looking for something a little bit more. Because the Carmen San Diego, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Originals were relatively interactive. If you get what I mean. Oh yeah, because then they have then they have like commercial breaks that said, "Where would you find this type of food? Italy, Germany, yeah, but they, they, they had, Portugal." They had an engagement thing, and this didn't. This was just a passive sit and watch. So yeah, no, on fair. that front, but it's not bad. It's just not that distinct. Would from it, a lot of other series like that? Would it have I'm, benefited from a GI Joe style PSA? Because remember, knowledge is half the battle. And the other half is brutal, brutal violence. G.I. Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, moving on. Right, let's talk about your fascination with Ted Bundy. Ted, it's not my fascination (laughs) with Ted Bundy. Well, this is on your watch list, so. Well, I watched it. So, the Ted Bundy tapes, an intense whirlwind journey through the TV, people, police, and rage-filled multiple homicides of 70s serial killer and inexplicable heartthrob Ted Bundy. Told through recordings of him made after he was he had been caught, found guilty, and sentenced to death, they just they juxtaposed him explaining how he theoretically could have got away with it, and him explaining badly how none of all the evidence actually proved the things that it clearly blatantly did. It's him sitting there going, "Well, if I was to try and have got away with it." But I did. It wasn't me because blah 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 blah. Fuck it, you did it. You're gonna burn. I'm not. I'm not one to usually watch the true crime sort of style series, but I actually found this quite interesting. It's actually quite nice. It was a digestible for like four episodes. Yeah. So it's like four one hour and a bit episodes. I think the mm. first and the last episode are slightly longer than the middle two. Mm. But um, no, I think it. I think with the background of obviously the Ted Bundy murders, it kind of shows how society deviants have evolved and how far he's had to adapt to not just catch the killers but to to understand how people like Bundy operated. I think it's I think you look on the impact on of his crimes and you see how that affected how law enforcement officers and all that worked on uh, afterwards is actually quite it's, it's very interesting and, and, mm. and quite good. It's like it was the it was the system shock that I think America may have needed to to actually start realizing that crime is not clear cut all the time there are there are motives there are psychological issues to why people would do that and and i think that i think the documentary did it did quite quite well actually built up the 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 clear fact that bundy was was not necessarily a uh what's the right word for this he i think psychologically he was very unstable yeah well obviously 
But I think it's kind of like when they, where you sort of, it's, it's like when they build up, it's like, it's sometimes the very simplest things that can turn someone down that route. And I think the first episode where they talk about his, his like first serious relationship and how that didn't necessarily pan out and how, and how that impacted him. And it kind of, it's, it's very easy how one little thing can set someone off down some very horrible actions. It's one, it's one little thing that so many people don't go down that path and yeah. one person did mm. and th- i i totally got what you mean about um it giving a very good in- good good vision of the time mm. and i i thought it i've seen a number of these things which are quite sensationalist and very oh this killer was such a genius and blah 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 whereas this i thought was a very fair and even-handed because they went through all of all the smart things he did all the sneaky things he did mm-hmm. but also they were like well this was the cultural norm and that was the cultural norm and this is the flaw that he exploited because ted bundy is one of the archetypal i mean ted, ted bundy is essentially where we get this idea of the genius sexy serial killer from as a culture he, he was the archetype for that mm. uh, no 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 bundy no uh, hannibal lecter yeah i was thinking that they went through it and they were like, no, he, he wasn't necessarily really clever. He just knew the procedures and found where the flaws were. And in anything like law enforcement, people are going to find the flaws before you do, because they're going, how many people can I stuff and kill? Can I, can I kill and stuff on the wall while you're there going, okay, mm. <laughs> I'm not a serial killer. It was very interesting, the social side of it, just the how things were in the 70s. Because mm. you can sit there and you can read about it and go, well, how did they let this they get away with this? And how come they didn't do that? And the number of times the cops were just like, you got to remember, we didn't have computers. you got to remember, yeah. we didn't know the phone number of the other state police yeah, force absolutely. because we didn't have it because you couldn't look it up and all this shit. And I thought the police were felt with re- were dealt with really fairly in this. It wasn't that, that they were, you know, they, they weren't made out to be buffoons. They weren't made out to be gods or whatever. It was just very balanced approach of and factual approach. They were real okay. fallible people. They were real fallible people, but they were also once you got into the into the gist of what they were up against, you you saw how much effort and how much work and mm. how smart they were for put for beating the guy, mm. which I thought was for 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 someone like this, I thought was really good and beneficial because it gave you an insight into what was going on. I think it also very clearly made out that he was that Ted Bunny himself was a complete jerk. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, beyond the fact of all those people he murdered, because, <laughs> you know, that, that instantly makes you a bad person. But just how much of a annoying, gobshite, self-important dick he was. Oh, yeah, they do. They do heavily talk about the narcissistic nature of Ted Bundy. But basically any, anything Ted Bundy did, it got attention and he loved that attention. And, and it's like you, you look at you even look at things like when he gets the indictment read to him just before he goes to trial in 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 florida and stuff like that and he tries to make a big deal with it to the press and kind of go oh i want to talk to the press i want to answer their questions and stuff like that it's kind of like he's he's revel. i mean even even the trial itself where he's where he's decided he's going to be one of the his own counsel in a way and it's kind of like you you and and the and the the fact of the matter is it's like he kind of he put himself in the electric chair already with that because there were there's there's a shocking part in one fix where they, he could have just pleaded guilty, and he probably would have just gone to jail for life in that state. But then the other states had issues to take up with him because it was basically he got like two or three death sentences. I think it, yeah, but anyway, um, 
But no, I think from the from the tapes and even from you seeing the footage of him, he very egotistical, deluded. As, as a documentary, on a mm. pure technical level, of doc, they had a clear story, but they tried to tell it with as little bias as possible. And it, yeah. I thought that front was great. And whilst they, a lot of the murders he did were very, very gruesome, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. And also, let us not forget that we're talking about a guy that killed multiple people. Mm-hmm. They did. I didn't think they over sensationalized that bit. It, no, I, I, because I, 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 I kind of got the impression that from from hearing about the, the TV show in itself, it was yeah. kind of like it's like all oh, these tapes are going to be groundbreaker. They're going to make everything make sense. It's like, well, no, they're just the backbone. They're just the backbone for you to give you a, a kind of like a, a barnstorm, intense, mm. in-depth look. Bundy grew up, how it all went, how he committed these horrible acts, yeah. how he got caught, and how he got his ultimate comeuppance. I think it's well worth a watch. Yeah. Um, you were quite hesitant about, or you were you, not hesitant, wrong word. You weren't that interested in watching it, and then you gave it a shot, and you enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I it's not going to make me go off and watch every true crime thing. I think sometimes with these sort of series, something has to kind of engage me a little bit. And obviously, coming on the show and talking about it, obviously, I felt like I had to at least watch one or two episodes. I was actually quite because I thought it was like, oh, this is like, uh, like ten episode sort of thing. It's like, oh no, it's actually four episodes and so forth and and digestible four episodes as well so i i kind of i actually watched the last two episodes uh this morning before we actually recorded so so it's still quite fresh in my mind so but no um no i think it's a, it's a decent thing because so, i know how much people go on things about making a murderer i am not i'm not a true crime fan at all this one though was well brained and made it not about the glory of the killer yeah i mean because because the weird thing is later on this year you've got the zach efron led extremely violent shockingly evil and vile coming out to cinemas and i saw the trailer i've talked in the last episode and my gut feeling at the moment feels like it's an absolute neutered version of this of of this documentary it it, it feel it just feel again that feels like it's sensationalizing bundy more so it's kind of like oh but he was so charming and so thing is like yeah He's also a very horrible man, and 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 you've kind of tried to, you've tried to put this into Zac Efron to try and demonstrate. Credit credit to you, Zac Efron trying something different mm. that isn't a Disney musical. Fair enough. I'm gonna wait until that comes out. Mm. Uh, Bundy was a really enig- enigmatic person. Mm. Bundy was did have a huge number of female admirers. He got away with a lot of it by being a highly affable person, mm. and Zac Efron is a highly affable person he is a very pleasant person now if they played it smart what they've done is they've started the whole thing off to it presenting his nice side almost doing a bundy if yeah. you know what i mean and when they get to the movie they will show the horror yeah and paint out the fact that he's a total jerk and mm-hmm. i think in this I, I think there's a strong message of someone can come across as really nice and pleasant and also be a homicidal lunatic so don't take people on first glance and don't assume that because they're nice they're not nasty so it could work or as you said they could have just decided to turn it into oh gee he's just a wacky zany guy with a collection of heads so bottom line i enjoyed i i enjoyed a strong word i i found the ted bundy tapes very insightful and uh, I, I think if you're slightly interested it's worth a watch the new year is with us. It is a new season. There are a whole load of events out there. It's almost the start of the convention, the convention year. So rather than us list off uh, a whole bunch of events that are going down, mm-hmm. uh, we decided to have a look at how uh, a number of events are actually just promoting themselves and what, what messaging 
they're doing all that because it's it's one of the things that me and Ian have often talked about is how the hell the conventions promote themselves. We're focusing this one on residentials yeah. because it's something we've got a lot of experience with and they're a little bit more of a harder to promote uh, thing. Yeah, and in, in the case of something like MCM, they, they, they all, because they obviously read pop now, they all advertise the... They get their message out. They get their message out very easily. They also have a massive advertising budget. So how do you get yeah. the message out yeah. in, to MCM? You put it in the back of Empire. I mean, I've so. I've, I've listened to the radio at home, and basically, it will a random advert for MCM will appear, will, will come up in my my audio playback. The actual advertising techniques and advertising messaging for comic cons are so much more unified. They're really mm. the, the, there's very little difference between how a local you know like a sports hall one afternoon comic con promotes itself and how mcm does it it's scale that's the only difference mm -hmm. so the messaging side is absolutely nailed there is no difference on those residentials and the more scene stuff now that's where it gets interesting so the first one we had a look i had a look at was uh cos expo cos expo is the 5th and 6th of april so it's a friday and a saturday thing when i spotted was they're very promoting the hands-on and mm -hmm. just the wording of it the way it's the way it presents itself is active uh so it's it's three main tagline three word tagline create learn master mm -hmm. those are active things they're not saying come along and wear your finest yeah they're very aimed at the hands-on grab it by the throat you're going to do a thing i think it's very well i haven't been to cos expo's first event they're still relatively new uh they ran their first event last year it was only a one day event last year so they've obviously managed to get a really good interest to do two days and and the fact is they they are people who are involved in the scene um they've gone to other events to talk about their event as well and to promote it as well and i think the the nice thing about cos expo in our current landscape of residential conventions is it's finding a particular theme and it is sticking with that theme. Yeah. This is, this is a, this is an event that is solely focused on cosplay. The guests they bring in are cosplay. Every sort of main event is about cosplay. And, and I think that's really good because there's lots of people out there that love cosplay and it's, it's just nice to have a very, uh, I think, I think it's some of your, something you said, it's, it's very focused and it's yep. and it's basically it's not trying to imitate others because basically what happens with residential conventions and this this is kind of the thing among the residential conventions is well one convention does something right everyone else tries to mm. copy it to their certain degree and it was it was it was common what well, we we did we took some inspiration from other events and other events took inspiration from Kitters. so i think out of the group out of the the ones we're looking at i think cos expo is very unique it's not ashamed of being niche it's not ashamed of being technical i think some of the messaging might be intimidating to people who are beginners yeah and to admit because let's with, with a lot of the with the video they put out just the quality of the promotional material mm. is high-end stuff so i think its presentation style is a higher end than it and a bit more hardcore than it necessarily is but the the, the fact that they're just like going we're doing this we're just doing this this is all it is that willingness to be specific and to go, this is our product. This is our, what we're doing. That's it. I like that. Yeah. I think it's a, you've made a very good point there about the presentation side of things. I think, I mean, something that I, I felt Kitter did very, very well when myself and, and Phil were, were in charge there is where we felt our presentation side of things was very, 
was very strong and professional, but but Cross Expo have come along and they've they've put out their store very well. I mean, you look at you look at their social media, you look at the videos and stuff like that they do. They're on point. They're very professional looking, and there is a sensibility about it, and I, and I like that. I think they've got the advantage that the very nature of their event is very focused, mm. but they use that advantage well. And absolutely, that that's really good. Mm. Uh, uniqueness, though, it's not the only unique one. So the other one I fished out was uh, Tokenatsu. Now the reason I did did that is because Tokenatsu, in it, in and of itself, if you actually looked at the or what they've got going on, at what they've got, the stalls they've got, the trading they've got, it's a pretty standard, high quality, well produced event. Okay, mm -hmm. but it's in the middle of a field. It's a camping festival. The reason I'm bringing and they're, they're again, they're not ashamed about it. They they don't apologize for it because that that, that that was the thing with the camping festival is they're not going. Oh, sorry, we're not not in a hotel. They're just going. Yeah, the UK's Japanese cultural camping festival, straight out in the open, bang. Ultimately, Tokenatsu has has really built its representation, uh, its uh, reputation up as this camping con. I mean, they've they've been really strong on their video presentation as well over the last couple of years. I mean, they, they will appear at events like Kisser, like Ami, and stuff like that. They'll probably they'll probably uh, promote themselves at Minami as well. And I think, it, again, it's a very unique thing. And the fact is they, they do it when the sun should be shining and everything will be nice and hunky-dory. And they, to the 5th of August. Yep. And I did, and I and I went I went to it for my very first time last year. Um, it was like it was like the week after Amicon. And... Uh, and essentially, it's kind of like it's it's a fairly it's a fairly standard convention, but they do yeah. they do tweak events to to meet that sort of convention, uh, not convention that sort of camping feel. I mean, you have evening ghost walks, which was really really good. It was very unnervy, but very very good. And then they'll have lots of activities out on one of the main fields. They have things like tag archery. They had space. They had they had uh, archery space invaders, where basically people did like the space invaders movement across the field, and you had these sort of like <laughs> you had these sort of very harmless arrows, and you just had to hit the. Uh, it was really cool and they make and, and they've done something and they had like a house sort of camp camp competition system as well where you would you would win points and, and so forth as well so from a mess messaging viewpoint i thought it was a, a great example of a as i said a fairly regular event mm. with one element of it that could be seen as a disadvantage being turned into a positive being turned into that unique selling point they're they're not trying to press it on the content. I mean, obviously they're they're saying the stuff they've got, and that's really awesome. Um, but it's more just like, hey, you know, we're in a field, isn't that great? Rather than mm, we're in a field, you got know I mean about that that being on the just the positive approach on the messaging. I thought that was really cool. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a, a really great way to advertise an event. Just mm -hmm. admit what you are and run with it and have fun. Yep. Yeah. Here's a fun one. Manami Khan. Do they need to do they need to market? Have they ever marketed? <laughs> um, I think Manami I, I think in the in the nicest possible way, Manami Khan don't market ever because market. they don't because because they generally don't need to market because virtually everyone who goes this for one year will usually sign up on yeah. a Sunday for the next year and, and vice versa. So there's only really a small influx of, of new people coming into Manami Khan. I think my my other half started going to Manami Khan about two years ago. Yeah. And I I mean I, I started in about 2013. And that's when and that's when I had to fight to get on the registration list. 
on, yeah. on on just buying a ticket online and so forth. But now it's kind of because I'm doing bits and pieces. I'm, I'm very fortunate that they invite me to come along and and uh, make a tit of myself. Um, <laughs> Or just, or just try and pretend that I'm Greg Davis yeah, in a way. They, but, they, they've got a Twitter account, they've got a Facebook, and they've got a web page, mm. and those occasionally get updated. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very relaxed operation, um, mm. but the fact of the matter is, with Anami Khan, it's it like it, they they haven't been broke for years. Mm. There's no real need and to. If you ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think Manami have always been very satisfied with the numbers they get. They don't they they don't want to be. They don't want to be big. They don't want to be huge. Mm. They they know people like their event. They know people come to their event. Yeah, I think it's a great example that if, if you're filling seats, you don't need don't to worry, worry about it. <laughs> don't need to worry about it. Mm. At the other end of the scale, we've got Alcon with this year, I believe it's titled Alcon Revival. Uh, this is an interesting one. So they launched at the beginning of the year. It managed, I think I think it's safe to say they launched with a video. They launched uh, with a whole bunch of promotion. I know they they. They're definitely in Leicester, but I think they'd be. Uh, they're on the uh, cosplay for the Comic Con. They were doing sign up at the Comic Con in Leicester last year. I think they're planning on doing that again. I think they've got an event in Wales. In they the do. Year. They they're part of the. Um, there's a lot of anime. I know there's lots of little events. They have events in Bristol. Um, I know they're trying to launch one in Newcastle. Um, there's also London as well. They do very small events in London, like day cons, two day cons, stuff like that. So. Al- Alcon, Alcon is like the big, it's like the big event for the Anime League uh, team. Yeah. Uh, the smaller events are just kind of like additional feeder. Yeah, well, they're part of the messaging. There, if you know, here's a small, here's like a small day in a pub. So they're putting in the miles, they're putting in the legwork. You know, they're doing up and down the country. They're also going to a number of other events. You know, they're not just they're they're physically going places and physically spreading stuff as part of their messaging. Their messaging though, their actual messaging that that left that left us with a bit of a uh, curiosity uh because their part of their taglines this year was part of our goal is to bring back the partying fun and community for anime fans gamers and cosplayers and we seek to revive the anime gaming cosplay fandom in this country which i think on your note says now no longer is part of their remit i can't see it on their website any longer uh they decided to edit that out but they did basically launch i thought that was a bit harsh you kind of tried to dig a little bit deeper on the reason behind that. I got in touch with them because I, I personally thought it was a bit disingenuous towards the rest of the scene. You know, it's like we seek to revive the anime, gaming and cosplay fandom in this country. They, they're still there. They've been there for ages. I can't remember them dying. Re- you know, it's stopping or anything recently. And the thing about bringing back the fun party and community, because they had that, you know, it's like that's inherently in this country because of what they said. And, these things aren't absent from out there that I've ever that I can see. Uh, as part, I'm probably biased because any event I go to, that's where the party is. Mm. So that's that's a little bias on my part. Before we go into into what uh, any further into this one, I mean, what are your thoughts on that as as messaging, sending that out to people? And I'm asking you, you know, as someone who has run events, mm. if you see a if you see a fellow event using that messaging. How do you feel? Well, to an extent, I think the, the statement is kind of inaccurate because we we have these events going on. We have Manami running. We have Cos Expo. We have Habana. We have Toco. We have a lot of other events going on. And there are, there is plenty of variety out there for, mm. for the community. So it's... <laughs> 
I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, uh, and I've seen it from previous times at Alcon of, or Anime League have promoted, and this has always been their, their go-to line. This has always been their go-to line. It's been, and it's like in, even the response you got from um, their, their PR head. It's kind of like, it's not a new, it's not a new message. It's a very old message and one that they've been drumming on about for nearly 11 12 but don't aim me for an exact exact year on that but essentially essentially it's a, it's a it's a message that they will always be talking about i mean i remember i think maybe their chairman has been a vocal on social media as well saying all oh, this community is broken we're here to repair it all that sort of stuff and i remember i do remember seeing that message years ago um and that was that, yeah but that would be when they did the the Pwanda's campaign to try and unify the the uh scene and bring everyone together under their banner but i, I think it's a bit i think it's a bit disingenuous i think it's a bit I think it's a bit of a slap in the face into the other cons, to be perfectly honest. Um, and again, it's certain elements of that is it's it's depending what the definition of things like party is. Because for me at the moment, the definition of partying is basically turn up, get shit faced, and do nothing. And and I and I and this is from this is from Kaocon experience. Part the word party in itself is a very dangerous word to use because a good chunk of people don't go to conventions for partying they go there because they want to catch up with people they want to attend events they want to share their passions and so forth and i'm pretty certain getting shit-faced drunk is not particularly on the high end of that it might be on some people's but <laughs> to, to a degree so and and, and i learned, i think we learned this a little bit the hard way with kitacon quest because we did we did an announcement video for kitacon quest and and we used a lot of the party footage because mm. because hands down very truthfully and, and this is again from my my point of view we were in, in a presentation point of view we were one of the the best events that did evening entertainment very very well we had people who were involved in setting up stage shows for the prodigy involved we were get we were hiring tech crews from million pound uh nightclubs for example coming in and, and setting up our tech and all that so to a to an extent we were very proud of that and we were very proud of how people uh, responded to that as well hmm. but then we got the but then we get the side we then we got the feedback from other people saying well i don't really want to go there and party you're telling me this is just a party it's not about it's not about fandom stuff it's not about these sort of things and then and from that i i became very conscious with the the marketing but I, I was involved in the social media and, and a lot of the event presentations as well and i was i was really keen to try and focus a bit more on the event itself than partying because I think in our community today, I think you talk about just partying and people just assume it's getting turned, getting pissed, getting shit faced and stuff like that. Part, part, partying, partying is not necessarily, yeah, we're having great times together. No, I hear that word and that's what I think of. And yeah, like I said, I think my observation with the, the initial guess is Anime League have always seemed to present the idea the community's mm. broken and they're trying to fix it and it's not new, it's old. Um, but... I mean, revival just seems a very, it's a very kind of problematic word for them to use anyway, because on certain message boards and stuff like that, there's been some well-documented PR nightmares that they've had. I don't have a problem with the messaging of revival. The, 
as such but it's like is that a revival for the uk scene or is that because you've already said that felt like a bit of a slap in the face to the other events and anyone who knows about the uk scene is going to look at it and go well it doesn't need revival so the question is is it going to be a revival for alcon and if so how are they going about you know did they have a really bad year last year did they as a punter that would make me go well if if if, if it's the revival of alcon what have you done to fix whatever went wrong last time as, as that being your key word that that to me that's a bit of a dicey that's a gamble. It's, it's uh, very dicey as well because, again, I've not been witness to this. I've not, I've not, I've not seen this happen. But the, the, the focus some, here is on the messaging. Um, the, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's kind of like if they are, if they are trying to revive themselves, um, how much of attendee feedback have they really taken on board? Mm. Because it seems like in previous years, I were here, I hear not, not Uber kicking them while they're down but i'd hear some very constructive constructive criticism about it and these are things that just not acted on or they or or yeah. to my understanding they 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 fall in deaf ears the one one thing i'm picking up from what you were saying earlier about the partying thing the trend that i'm with i'm seeing which i'm a bit concerned about to an extent is this idea of every night at a convention having a party i don't think they need them because apart from anything else if, if when they're doing the nightclub experience those things are tiring those things are you know that that's several hours of if you have got everyone in the place in there and if you have got everyone jumping in if you have got everyone having a good time right mm. fair play but they're not going to be up at 10 o'clock the next morning true so if you <laughs> so if you're if you're putting events on at 10 a.m the next morning you're asking for trouble. You're asking uh, for trouble. And if you're if you're doing that on the Friday night, the Saturday night, and the Sunday night, yeah. these aren't the Alcon isn't the only people doing it. And I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that people shouldn't have a fun time. But I remember when the party was either the the the, the welcoming thing or the or the leaving thing. They're a wonderful idea. But when you've got one every single night, and I, I understand that you've got to a lot of tastes to accommodate etc but when they become this like they, they stop being special and they start becoming this quantity over quality thing and it's gonna burn people the hell out yeah. people are just gonna get knackered from it i think and the next morning i don't mean to sound like a snob but a hell of a lot of people who go to these things they're binge drinking they're drinking way more than they normally drink mm. in a very hyped environment the next day they're not looking good that means the actual the time that the event restarts starts when people are actually fired up and doing stuff that's creeping up and i've paid a lot of money for my ticket i want shit to start at nine <laughs> a good um comparison to this is MinamiCon itself because MinamiCon doesn't tend to have evening parties they have a variety of different even events they'll have a dj for a little bit i know they've that finishes by about 10 you also have things like uh the laser quest you'll have evening panels i mean it's like i i did mm. taskmaster last saturday or at last year's Saturday night. And that was like a 10 o'clock event. So the nice thing what Manami does is it's kind of, they put on different types of evening events that are not necessarily, let's just rock, let's just head bang to this latest dubstep song and drink ourselves silly. It's there in a very minor, very sort of small metascopic or microscopic little but it's, entity, it's but it's not, it's not the, it's not the driving factor of conventions, even entertainment. Yeah. And I think that is where, yeah, I think I put my I can put my hand up on kit aside. I think sometimes that's where we've probably dropped the ball a little bit because mm. it's either 
party or karaoke. There's there's nothing really else out there. And I think what would be really, and again, that's the same with things like Amicon as well, stuff like that. So it's not saying it's it's any particular, it's just been the way of how the scene's developed. Um, What I think would be good to see, even from one of those big events, is trying not to rely on a party every night. Like you said, I think I think we took. I mean, some conventions. I mean, especially we brought in musical guests. Why don't you just have an evening of performing artists or something like that? Like a little mm. mini, like a mini festival show of acts. That mm. that would be that would be different. That would be something different. And again, it's. I mean, there's there's so many options you can probably go over this. And again, it's about finding what works for your audience in a way. I would suggest that some of this is because the uh, the evening viewing has died down because mm. the v- viewing rooms are now dead in the water well, yeah. having big big movies getting shown at events so uh, I think it was something it's, I, it's events yeah. still trying to find things to trying to find find what works to fill it but anyway mm. we got into so because this one had wigged me a bit i got in touch with um the event and asked them you know what they were trying to do with their messaging uh because we weren't the only people. There was a fair bit of buzz going around the mm. ether on this one. So I wanted to get the word directly from the people involved. And very gratefully, we got a response from Mel Rowlands, who is the anime head of PR. Mm. Okay. So if anyone knows what their messaging is about, it's going to be them. And the response we got to our query was, to answer your query, part of our goal is to help bring back the partying fun and community for anime fans, gamers, and cosplayers. This is not to mean that it is lacking from other events. But this is something that people have told us feels lacking from the scene as a whole, sadly as of late, especially this year. Presumably by this year, uh, I am assuming they mean the uh, 2018 period. Okay, we simply want to do our part and anyone of similar mind who wishes to work with us are more than welcome to get in touch. Our overall aim here continues to be to help to foster and build this anime community together in this country. The exact goal it has been since 2007. So that was in response to me asking, why do they think that uh, they, you know, why do they, why do they think that there's partying lacking, and why do they think that the anime ga- uh, gaming and cosplay fandom needs reviving? So that was the response I got from Mel. I think when they say especially this year, I think it's just linked to the fact that there's no main residential convention running in July. That's because obviously this year, this year would have been a Kitter event, but because mm. of uh, of company changes, uh, myself and Phil Hutchinson are have left the convention. Uh, new blood is coming in, a new a new structure is coming in there from there, and we're in the process of doing all the the final bits of paperwork on that. Um, there's there's not enough time to run an event, and mm. also Warwick as a venue at the time is is currently in the middle of refurbishment so that doesn't just put a, a wrench into Kitacon's plans it will put a wrench into probably amicon's plans next year as well so I, I i guess what they're trying to say is hey no events are running come to our event despite the fact there are a couple of other events that will be running around that yeah. time <laughs> I, I was i will be honest to say i was a bit confused by the sentence this is not this is not to mean that it's lacking that uh this is lacking from other events, but this is something that people have told us feels lacking from the scene as a whole, sadly, as of late. That is a, um, that's an interesting sentence. Yeah. People can make of it what they want. But anyway, that's how Alcon decided to advertise themselves and they've now been running for 12 years. So. I mean, ba- I mean, based on that response, is that, a, is that something that would give you a, a re- would you feel you still 
you would be interested in attending just just based on that marketing line and how they've explained that marketing line if i wasn't aware of what else was going on there then this messaging quite possibly would work for me because if i don't know that all this stuff's happening then someone saying yeah we're going to bring the party back mm. that is like okay these people are on the same wavelength as me because there's nothing out there from my experience mm. so yeah that messaging would work for me because I do know that there's other stuff out there. Um, I think it's a bit unfair to the other events mm. and a bit snooty. You know, it's like, it's however they want to cut it. And I'm taking Mel's comment on face value. I'm not assuming there's any whatever. However they want to cut it, they're still using the phrase help bring back and revive. And as far as I'm aware, there is fun, there is community, there is partying. It's out there for anime, gamers, cosplayers. Um, so I would, now I would look at that messaging and I'd be like, yeah, what are you going to do that's so awesome? And then when I look at the site and I look at what they're doing, it's, it, I mean, the pictures look nice and it looks like they know, the, from from the marketing, it looks like they know what they're doing. But I wouldn't necessarily think it's they're doing anything exceptional. I mean, they've got like a they've got a um, a university bar and they've got a university nightclub, which is nice. Mm. But I also know that making a party fun is a lot more than having a good venue. Yeah. And if you've got and you can have a situation where you've got the massive venue, but it's too big for the number of people you've got. Mm. You know, if you've got one of the loneliest things in the world is a 500 person nightclub with 100 people in it. So that's that's my answer to how, how does that messaging hit me? Mm. Similar to um, uh, what they're doing with cosplay. They're laying the cards on the table. As you said, with the partying messaging, it's a bit of a risky, but certain people want it. They'll go for it. So they're, they're, they're saying what they're about, which is cool. I I think my thoughts of it is. It's like it's not me trying to be vindictive here or trying to be mm. be immediately downputting, but I've I've not had a a real reason to go to an Alcon event. I still and I and I still feel that there's no reason, even with that me messaging and even with that response, I still don't really feel that there is a there's an interest in me going. And I think and I think I think ultimately my I think Anime League need to sort out their image a little bit better. That's that's just and that again that is that is just from. That is just from my experience. I think that messaging to the wider community, yeah, that's not going to help their... I don't think that's going to help their image with the wider community. No matter the intention of it, I don't think that's going to help on that front. Okay, so the final the final one we've got uh, is Habanacon. Mm -hmm. Now, Habanacon are currently on a bit... You know, they're on a bit of hiatus because, let's face it, they need a break. Mm. And the last thing they announced was their previous uh, event. They did they did a Habanacon Three Horizons because mm -hmm. they're naming each thing. And they, other than a bit of a space theme, they haven't really said what it's about. Well, that's the thing. So they're going for a bit of a mystery edge. I think what stage. is quite nice is it's something I like in conventions um, is kind of they, they try and go for theme or they try and give their event uh, mm. identity a name. So like what Alcon's done with Alcon Revival, of course, for, a few yeah. year, for I think for a few years, it's mostly been Alcon 2018, 2017, 2016. So I think this is the first time Alcon have actually tried to go down the, the themed name route. And Kitter, Kitter was kind of the same. We did yeah. Kitter's one to four. And then when we had the break and we came back in 2013, uh, mm. 
2014, it was all in, it was like invasion, back to the Kidicon, carnival, quest, that sort of stuff. And I, and that's something I kind of like because that actually shows tells me that they're they're planning, they're kind of trying to be kind of thematic move, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't necessarily work. But it's well, they, but it's but it's nice to see a convention try that. Hmm. But other than that, I mean, their their overall messaging approach at this stage is kind of. So we can't say much on this one because it's this mystery of coming soon. Mystery. But previous stuff they've been doing, as you said, there, there's a lot of um, they, they've been putting the mileage. I mean, th- their event is definitely from the trailers for the the second stage, which was the name of their second one. Mm. Um, they're definitely focusing on the content. Mm-hmm. I think that would be fair to say. Would you? Yeah, I'd say that would be true. It's. It's not, I'm going to say, it, it doesn't feel necessarily that unique, if that makes sense. With, I, I'm not, this is not me, this is me purely talking about the messaging. I'm, I've got nothing but praise for the event itself. But I just want, I just, I mean, they, again, they were doing the rounds by um, going places. Mm-hmm. But their videos were very packed with stuff that had happened at the last event. Their main video, their main promotional package was like a minute and a half of quite uh, J-poppy, sparky. We got this, we got this, we got that, we got that. What I mean, what did you think to that uh, as a as a promo technique? Because this is an event that's growing. I think sometimes it's sometimes with events, it's quite nice to keep the cars close to the chest. Because if you're telling them that we're going to be back, but we're not ready to announce we can tell you the dates, but we're going to tell you what we've got up our sleeves in terms of guests and that. That kind of gets, that kind of gets people more interested, I guess, in a way. And we and we've done that with Kitter. We've done that with sort of teasing the name reveal or something like that, or guests and stuff like that. So it does work to a degree. Oh, they're, they're like ten months away from nine months away, sorry, from from launch. Mm. I think I think they normally start advertising around about March time. Mm. I I think overall they're but. I think because they're growing and they're they're still kind of finding their feel. So I, I think showing because they don't have at the moment necessarily a fully formed personality. I, I think the event's got its own distinctive thing going on, but it's mm-hmm. more of a feel and it's more of a, an atmosphere rather than necessarily a package. Yeah. So I think I think they're we're an event, you know, you know what it is and low key messaging. Mm-hmm. Letting the previous show be the message rather than trying to hype people up on the new stuff. Yeah. Because it, it, it's it's not quite Manami Con levels of silence. No. But it's not co- the, the Cosplay Expo level of this shit is going down and this is what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. It's kind of middle groundy. Do you, do you think that makes it more inviting or does that do you think that's a little bit what the hell's going on with this? I think it's, I think they're obviously re- relying as well on things like word of mouth because some of us went to our first Japanicon for the first time last year including myself and I was there doing things for Punkazilla um, but I was but also being able to communicate to people again it's like like I said sometimes some positive words from influential I'm not trying to sell it and say I'm an influential person but sometimes people do view certain people in the community uh, whether they're sort of uh, event runners or kind of helpers or organizers themselves even if they just say a, a simple thing saying, oh yeah, this event was actually quite good or this event's really nice and stuff like that. Sometimes power, power of uh, word of mouth could go such a long way. The nice, the nice thing with Urbanicon is they are, they are going at a very comfortable mm. approach. I mean, it's very easy for 
and we ha- and I have seen it with events in the past where they were they were just about be able to run like a six hundred person event, and then they'll go, you know what, we're going to do a three thousand person event next year, and that goes horribly wrong. So one thing one thing I have noticed they they've been doing a bit more than the other events is they've been promoting other events as well. Mm. Okay. That is definitely part part of their messaging is them telling people what other than themselves is available. Mm-hmm. And I think that's there's a certain logic which says no, you must never tell anyone else ever. Mm. But I think for them it gives like we're this feel of we're part of this broader scene. So I, I think that part uh, that's definitely a part of their mixed. I mean, one of the things I think, especially for residential conventions, is we those events have to help each other in a way. Mm. Um, so I guarantee you'll probably see some of the Habana guys, even Taco guys, at the Namicon in a couple of weeks. Just mm. to there, they might not be promoting their event. They might promote it a little bit, but not necessarily all the time. But it's there just to show that they're still part of that community and, and they're there yeah. to obviously talk up their event as well and, and so forth. So, yeah. and, and, and vice versa. So you'll, you might see a few folk from Manami over at Habana, mm. for example, I think in the scene, especially now it's good to have, it's good to have allies yeah. really. <laughs> and it's kind of so it's, it's good. For it, the fire nation. Yeah. Attacks. Yeah. And that's update for February, 2019. If you like this podcast, then please share it with your friends and rate us online. It really helps spread the word and we will love you forever. The Hardcore Genki podcast is available from raggedyman.net slash the raggedy jam podcast, as well as iTunes, Stitcher Radio, uh, Pocket Cast, and anyone called Dodgy Phil in your local boozer. It's also syndicated on bunkerzilla.co.uk, the UK gig culture online radio channel. And as always, please send any feedback you have on the show to superfortresshg at gmail.com or tweet us at Hardcore Genki. Please do send us some feedback, not just likes, so we know that you still love us and where we can improve the show. Ian Bolton can be found on Twitter at Decadane and of course on bunkerzilla.co.uk. And Andrew Raggedyman can be found at raggedyman.net needlessly aggressive products on facebook and etsy and behind the scenes photos of the project can be found at instagram.com slash needlessly aggressive so till next time goodbye farewell from the super fortress hardcore genki bye, bye.